Hey listeners, I recently launched an ad-free Serial Napper feed so that you can enjoy the podcast without interruptions. Elevate your Serial Napper listening experience by joining my Patreon community and get yourself an ad-free feed on Spotify. For just $2 a month, you can become a member today and unlock ad-free episodes while still supporting the podcast. It's super easy. Just visit Serial Napper on your Spotify app and click the button at the top that says exclusive episodes for subscribers. Don't use Spotify for your listening? No problem. Just visit patreon.com slash Serial Napper to get your episodes ad-free and enjoy uninterrupted storytelling while you get your naps in. Hey everyone, my name is Nikki Young and this is Serial Napper, an international true crime podcast. Tonight's case was sent to me via Twitter and I'm really thankful that it was because it needs so much more attention than what it has received so far. It's going to enrage you and it absolutely should. Brianna Nugent Nix lost her life on March 2nd, 2020 in what has been labeled an accident on her death certificate. Her husband of 10 years claimed that he found her unresponsive on the bathroom floor. It would be discovered that Brianna had over 80 fresh injection marks on her body that were made within the previous four hours before she was found deceased. While she was never known to have any history of drug use, Her cause of death was labeled as an accidental overdose of fentanyl. But her closest friends and family disagree, and they want her autopsy report made public with a full investigation because they believe that this is foul play. After hearing all of the details surrounding Brianna's life and death, it's clear why they are pushing so hard for this. At the end of tonight's episode, I'll have links and places that you can go to learn more about Brianna's story and how you can help to bring more attention to this case. Before we get started, tonight's episode is sponsored by European True Crime Podcast. As a Serial Napper listener, I know that you're going to love this new true crime podcast focused on some of Europe's most twisted and devastating crimes. Host Lisa Juliet has one of the most incredible voices I've ever heard. She's so calm and soothing as she walks you through some of the most fascinating true crime stories that you've likely never even heard of. If you're one of those people, like me, who like to fall asleep listening to true crime podcasts, I know that you will thoroughly enjoy the storytelling in European true crime. It's so good. European True Crime is available for you to listen to on Spotify, Apple, Google Podcasts, and just about anywhere else you like to listen. She has two fascinating stories up for you to currently dive into, so go check it out. Stay tuned halfway through tonight's episode for my review of the latest case covered by European True Crime, The Alcacer Girls, a case from Spain that I was shocked hasn't received more international attention. All right, let's jump in. I'm going to get into all the details, but I think it's important to be clear that this is still an ongoing, active investigation. 
A lot of what I'll be talking about is alleged and it hasn't been proven in a court of law. I don't want to try to convince you one way or another. I just want to present you with what has happened and what has been said and then you can form your own opinion on the matter. No matter what you believe happened here, the fact of the matter is Brianna's family wants answers and they deserve that. Her sister Brittany has been an absolute champion fighting for her sister, and the majority of the information that I'm giving here has been provided by Brittany to different media outlets. The sisters were very close, and in fact, Brittany had just recently moved to Hayden, Alabama to be closer to her sister about a year prior to her death. They saw each other just about every day. But while they were close, Brianna didn't talk a whole lot about her marriage. Brianna was married to a man named Stephen Nix. They had been together since 2008, and they were married in 2010. So when she died in 2020, the couple had been married for 10 years. But what her family did know was that he had become pretty controlling over the years. Brianna was a nurse. Actually, she worked as a nurse full-time at a hospital and part-time at another medical facility. So she was the breadwinner in the family. She was the one that brought in the income to the home. Stephen had a few oddball jobs over the years, but he had been unemployed basically for the last five years. He would even joke about being a proud stay-at-home husband, which is fine. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. However, even though it was Brianna that earned the money, Stephen controlled the finances. It was so bad that Brianna had to have everything that she ordered or purchased delivered to her friends' homes because Stephen would monitor their mailbox to see if she was buying things. He would also track her cell phone and what she would do in her spare time when they weren't together. While Brianna didn't talk a whole lot about her marriage to Stephen, whether good or bad, Brittany did say that Stephen would talk negatively about her sister all the time. With Brittany living in the same town and Stephen being a decent handyman, he would sometimes come over to help with oddball jobs around the house. And there, he would talk down about Brianna, which is so weird to me. That's her sister. Like, know your audience. Brittany says that he would talk about how Brianna always spent way too much money and that she had a shopping addiction. In reality, it was Steve who had a bit of an addiction. Brianna was prescribed Adderall for her ADHD, but it was known that she had to hide it from Stephen because he would steal it from her to use for recreational purposes. When the couple were together, family noticed that Stephen would talk about other women and their appearance. If they were attractive, he would even take pictures of them. I think it's pretty safe to say that Brianna's family weren't always happy with the way that he treated her. But Brianna was an adult who could make her own decisions, so they didn't really involve themselves in her marriage. Again, this is all allegedly according to Brianna's family. Brittany did say, however, that in February of 2020, just a month before her death, Brianna began to look into options for getting a divorce because she had clearly had enough of his behavior. So that's a little background into the situation that Brianna was in and her marriage with Stephen. The day is now March 2nd, 2020. Brianna had just finished a night shift at the hospital where she worked 7 p.m. until 7 a.m. that morning. It took her around 30 minutes to put together her reports after her shift and then about half an hour for her to get home. So she would arrive back at her house at around 8 a.m. 
We don't really know what transpired at the Knicks' home that morning. Steven said that he had been asleep when Brianna got home, but at around noon, Brianna's sister Brittany is at work just finishing up her lunch when she receives a phone call from Steven. According to her, Steven says, what are you doing? And then he follows up with, well, your sister's tried to kill herself. You need to get over here. The way that he said it was really calm and nonchalant, like he was talking about something as simple as the weather. So Brittany didn't initially believe him. She thought that it had to be some kind of joke, but unfortunately it wasn't. Brittany left work immediately, and it took her about 40 minutes to arrive at her sister's home. When she got close to their neighborhood, she saw the streets packed with police and an ambulance, and at that point, she knew that it was serious. When she walked into the home, she saw Stephen sitting on the couch with his parents on each side of him. While his parents looked absolutely distraught, Stephen was looking at the floor, and he appeared to be fairly calm. She asked him what happened, and the following is the story that he gave her, although he would change the timeline a few different times when speaking to the police. He said that at around 11 a.m. that morning, Brianna was in the bathroom, and when he walked by, he thought he heard a thud, and he thought it was just her cell phone or something maybe falling on the floor. He didn't really think anything of it. He left the home, and he went to the bank, and then the dump. In total, he was gone for about an hour. He arrived back at the home around noon, and it appeared that Brianna was still in the bathroom, but the door was locked, and she wasn't responding when he called her name. He used his nail to try to unlock the door, and it worked. And when he tried to push the door open, it was really difficult because she was on the floor leaning up against the door. Initially, all he saw were her feet, which were blue. He pushed his way into the bathroom, and he called 911 and said that he tried to do compressions until paramedics arrived on the scene. He also said that he noticed that there was a needle in the sink and a couple of drops of blood. The scene in the bathroom was more horrific than you can possibly imagine. There was an 18-gauge needle found that appeared to be used to inject Brianna with a drug. If you're not familiar with needles, and hell, I know I'm not, an 18-gauge needle is massive. They're mostly used to draw medication from vials, and they're definitely not used for injections. As a nurse of 12 years, Brianna would absolutely know this. There were other unopened needles found at the scene with various gauges, so it's really strange that an 18-gauge needle would be used for an injection. The home is not treated like a crime scene as it should be. Brittany notices that Stephen's uncle is there at the house, and he just happens to be a deputy at the Hayden Police Department. He was off-duty at the time, but he's on the scene in full uniform. Stephen, along with his parents and his uncle, were all allowed to stay in the home while the scene is being processed, which is not typical of a potential crime scene. It was also noted that his parents had arrived to the home before the paramedics did, which is odd because they actually lived further away than the paramedic station was located. So did Stephen call them first? How did they get there first? Did he phone his family before calling 911? We don't know, but the question begs to be asked. And that's not the only mistake that was made at the home. There are many. 
It was noted that while the paramedics were there working on Brianna, Stephen was frantic about emptying the garbage can in the bathroom. He was literally hovering over them trying to grab this garbage bag and empty it into the main house garbage, which was full, even though Stephen had said that he had been at the dump that morning. Then he took the garbage bag and he tossed it into his truck. Why would he be so concerned about that garbage bag while his wife had just died from what looked like an overdose? And why would he toss it into the truck? Police also locate Brianna's cell phone on the scene, and luckily her sister Brittany knows the password, so she's able to open it up right on the spot. Her phone shows that Brianna had a missed call from Stephen at around 7.53 a.m., and the notification was still on her phone like she had never checked it. The only other notification on her phone was a text message that confirmed an appointment that she had for the following day. But this unchecked missed call from Stephen is strange. It's strange that she wouldn't check any notifications from around 8 a.m. until she allegedly overdosed at around 11 a.m. between 11 a.m. and noon. So is it possible that she was deceased prior to then and Stephen's timeline doesn't add up? I mean, maybe. Stephen also said that he was sleeping when Brianna arrived home that morning around 8 a.m. So why is there a missed call on Brianna's cell phone from Stephen at 7.53 a.m.? Clearly, he wasn't really sleeping around that time. Also on the cell phone, police find text messages between Brianna and Stephen from the evening before, while Brianna was working the night shift. And the pair, they're arguing about an alleged affair that Brianna believes Stephen is having. Police ask Stephen if they can take the cell phone for further processing. Stephen tells them that they can look through the phone, but he doesn't want them to take it. They ask if they can also look through his phone and Brianna's car and his truck. According to Brittany, who is watching all of this unfold, he says that they can look through her car, but they can't look through his phone or his truck without a warrant. So at this point, police work on getting that warrant because Stephen isn't really cooperating. And police do get that warrant. Now remember, Stephen has put the bathroom trash bag in his truck, and he doesn't want his truck to be searched. While police get that warrant to search the truck, Stephen's father attempted to move the trash bag from Stephen's truck to his vehicle. But thankfully, a police officer at the scene sees them attempt to do this, and he stops them, so they're able to retrieve the garbage bag. I love to travel. From the bustling city of Tokyo to the beaches of Thailand, there's nothing I enjoy more than getting the chance to see the world and experience different cultures firsthand. But the language barrier, it can be an issue. Sure, you can use an app on your phone, but things often get lost in translation. I truly believe that learning at least some of the language of the land that you're visiting is the first step to ensuring a smooth and meaningful experience. That's why I'm excited about Rosetta Stone, the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language that you want to learn. Rosetta Stone has been the trusted expert for 30 years with millions of users and 25 languages offered, including Japanese, Spanish, German, Korean, Italian, and more. Learning a new language can be tough especially with all of the different nuances. But Rosetta Stone is designed to help you speak like a local, so you'll feel confident in what you're saying. 
I don't know how many times I've been traveling to a new country and struggled to get my point across just because I wasn't properly pronouncing something that I thought I knew, which is why I love Rosetta Stone's built-in true accent feature, which helps you master your accent. They also have convenient desktop and app options so you can learn on the go. Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership includes all 25 languages. So once you're finished learning one language, you can start on another. Whether you're an avid traveler like me or just want to impress your friends with a new skill, it's a steal of a deal at 50% off. That's right, 50% off. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Serial Napper listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com today today. When I was listening to Brittany tell this story to various media outlets, I was envisioning this all in my head, and I just can't imagine under what circumstance this would be a perfectly reasonable thing to do. To be so concerned with the trash in the bathroom, and for Stephen's father to even apparently assist in trying to move the trash bag. Now, in this trash bag, police would find black gloves and syringes, along with other various items that could be evidence. However, you will be shocked to hear how these items are processed. But we'll get to that later. Brianna's body would be taken away and an autopsy would be performed. The autopsy report has never been publicly released. It's only ever been seen by Stephen, who has decided not to share it with the family. However, on her death certificate where it says cause of death or manner of death, it is noted that Brianna Nugent Nix died of an accidental overdose. Brittany would not see her sister's body at the scene, and she would never get to read that autopsy report. However, a few days later, she would see Brianna's body at the funeral home, and what she saw horrified her, so much that she took pictures that she still has to this day. Brianna's feet and hands were covered in bruises. She had injection sites all over her body, about 80 of them, and they were all fresh. They were all recent. The 18-gauge needle that was used did massive damage. Some of the needle marks appeared to be in places that Brianna likely couldn't even have reached herself, like on her back or the back of her elbows. According to Brittany, the funeral home director said that she had never seen anything like that before, not even with drug addicts. Brianna's family had very strong feelings and suspicions surrounding her death, as you can imagine. And while publicly they kept their feelings towards Stephen and the situation quiet, they felt like there was just no way that this was an accidental overdose. For one thing, Brianna was not a drug user. She just wasn't. She hardly even ever drank. The only drugs that she took was prescribed Adderall. That was prescribed to her for her ADHD. And she took it only as prescribed, which was confirmed. In speaking with her colleagues at the hospital, Brittany said that her coworkers didn't notice anything unusual about Brianna during that night shift. They didn't see any marks or bruises on her. She wasn't acting any differently. Everything appeared to be normal. 
However, she had around 80 fresh injections on her body where allegedly she had used that 18-gauge needle to inject herself with fentanyl. It just didn't make any sense. Two days after Brianna's death, Stephen claimed that he made a shocking discovery. He had found two empty vials of fentanyl and alleged that Brianna must have had a hidden addiction. And again, this doesn't make a whole lot of sense. The Nick's home was searched by police, and they didn't find any other vials other than what was in the bathroom. Also, these two vials of fentanyl that had allegedly been found didn't match the vials that would be found at the hospital Brianna worked at. So if they weren't taken from the hospital that Brianna worked at, where would they have come from? Brianna was also subjected to random periodic drug tests as part of her job as a nurse, and she always came back clean. No one would have thought that she had any sort of drug addiction, let alone fentanyl, which it does damage, it does something to your body. Like, it's not just something that you can hide if you have a fentanyl addiction. You have injection sites, your behavior changes, your physical features change. It's not just like a little pot on the side. We're talking about fentanyl here. There were other suspicious events that happened shortly after Brianna's death. Before Brianna was even buried, there was a woman spotted over at the Nick's home. And this was the woman that Brianna had alleged Stephen was having an affair with shortly before her death. And they were known to have a past. When Brianna and Stephen had first started dating, it was alleged that this woman and Stephen had an affair. He was working as a janitor at a hospital that she worked at. It's not clear what kind of position she held at the hospital, but that's how they had originally met. The affair ended and Brianna and Stephen went on to get married, but was this affair happening again? Brianna thought so, or at least that's what her text messages showed. Now, this woman actually lives at the home with Stephen, and she's done some really icky things. I try not to judge, but I mean, some things just cannot be ignored. Even so, I'm not going to say her name, but she's posted some pretty disgusting things on Facebook. In one photo of herself, she's seen wearing this heart-shaped necklace that belonged to Brianna. It was a necklace that Brianna's mother had made for her. And it is very unclear to me why this woman would ever want it, let alone post a photo of her wearing it. It's just gross. Even if Brianna wasn't murdered, let's say this was an accidental overdose. How gross is it to wear this woman's necklace now that you're living with her husband? It's just, I don't know, it's just icky. Stephen would be paid out a $160,000 life insurance policy for Brianna's death. Allegedly, he was overheard asking a police officer if he would have any issues accessing that policy if it were labeled a suicide. This all happened at the scene of her death. What's really strange is that six months before her death, Brianna paid a premium in order to double her life insurance policy, which in itself isn't strange, but usually people do this if they have children or some other circumstance where they would really need the money if they died. But Brianna was a healthy 32-year-old woman, no children, so it's kind of odd that she would pay to double it. And they didn't really need the money. It was also around that time that they had filed for bankruptcy, which basically cleared them of their debts, meaning that $160,000 life insurance policy, it would be paid in full to Stephen and not need to go towards paying off any of their marital debts. 
According to Brianna's family, even though Stephen had just received this large amount of money and he was seen spending it on things like a new gun and ostrich skin boots, he waited six months to buy her a headstone. And even then, he asked the family to help pay for it. I'm pretty sure life insurance is literally for helping to pay for funeral arrangements and headstones and all that. But what do I know? Maybe he's not so great with money, and it doesn't mean he did anything legally wrong, but it's just a shitty thing to do. Now, it's been almost two years since Brianna's death, and here's why it's more important than ever to get the word out about her story. Brianna's family does not think that her death was an accidental overdose. They fully believe that this was a case of foul play, and they want to file a wrongful death lawsuit. However, in order to do that, they need a copy of the autopsy report, which Stephen will not provide, and the police will not release, because they say it's a criminal investigation, even though the manner of death on her death certificate says accidental. It's like a catch-22, and there is a two-year statute of limitation to file a wrongful death suit, so they need this to happen now. They need this autopsy report in order to file a wrongful death lawsuit. But it's not being released because it's a criminal investigation. But if it's a criminal investigation, why was a life insurance policy paid out to Stephen? And if it's a criminal investigation, why does it say accidental on her death certificate? Like, I just can't wrap my head around this. At this point, the wrongful death suit is pretty much the only option they have All of the evidence that was collected on the day of Brianna's death, including that garbage bag from the bathroom, it was never actually put into an evidence locker. For 15 months, it sat on the desk of an investigator who was initially the lead investigator. However, she was removed from the case and from the county sheriff's department. Why was she removed? We really don't know. But the evidence just sat there and a lot of it is no longer usable for evidence, including the cell phone. Even the vials of fentanyl were mishandled. There were photos that were taken and they show the officers handling these items with their bare hands. They're not even wearing gloves, so they're completely contaminating these items with their fingerprints and their DNA. It doesn't make any sense. At this point, unless there is some sort of confession, this family will likely need to file a lawsuit in order to get answers regarding Brianna's death. In November of 2021, Brianna's family was told that her death is still an open investigation. Like I said, even though the death certificate says that it was an accidental death. But it's unclear what, if anything, they are doing to move the investigation forward. And if this investigation is still open, again, how and why would Stephen get the life insurance money? As of today, Stephen has not been named a person of interest. He's never been interrogated. And everything that I've talked about here with regards to his behavior, it's alleged. According to Brittany's family, Stephen's become really reclusive. He hardly leaves his home and he has cameras up all around the property. So I don't think we'll be getting any more information from him. This is where you come in and where you can help. The family has started a petition to put pressure on the police to release Brianna's autopsy report. I will have the link in my show notes, but if you go to change.org and search make Brianna Nix's autopsy report public, it should come up. As of today, of recording today, there are almost 2,500 signatures. You can also find more information about Brianna's story and what happened to her over on the Facebook group, Justice for Brianna Nugent Nix, which is run by her family. 
I'll also have that link in my show notes. So make sure you share, 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 get our story out there because like I said, time is of the essence here. So what do you think? This is another case that seems a little suspicious where the police have clearly botched things so badly that the public really needs to put pressure for this to be investigated fully. This is another one that I would really like to talk about on our end of month true crime zoom chat which will be happening on monday january 30th at 9 p.m eastern standard time if you're interested in joining that make sure you check out my facebook group page if you search for serial society true crime discussion group you'll find all the details that's it for me tonight I would like to once again thank our sponsor of this episode, European True Crime, hosted by Lisa Juliet, who is an incredible advocate for victims and a fantastic storyteller. European True Crime is available for you to listen to on Spotify, Apple, Google Podcasts, and just about anywhere else you like to listen. You can also check out our website at europeantruecrimepodcast.com and the link will be included in my show notes. As for me, if you want to reach out, you can find me on Facebook at Serial Napper. You can also search for me on Apple or Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Check me out on Twitter at Serial underscore Napper or I'm on YouTube, Nikki Young, Serial Napper, and that's all one word. If you'd like more ad-free exclusive content as well as supplemental documents and details on all the cases I cover, make sure you check out my Patreon page at patreon.com slash serialnapper. I post two additional Patreon-only episodes over on my Patreon each month and there's lots of other great stuff there, so go check it out. Until next time, don't be a Dahmer. Bye.